This is a Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand podcast. Welcome back to Yokogawa Debunks, conversations with industry experts to uncover the truth behind myths and misconceptions surrounding the industrial automation and industrial instrumentation space. I'm your host, Sean Carhill, and thank you for joining us today. And I would like to start by acknowledging and paying our respects to the traditional custodians of this land, to the elders past, present and emerging, on whose country this recording is taking place. Now today we'd like to welcome back Mike Wallace, who's Manager for Process Analyzer Solutions at Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand. Mike joined us in the last episode to discuss some of the misconceptions people have around Continuous Emissions Monitoring Systems, or SEMS for short. So without further ado, welcome back, Mike. Good morning, Sean. Thank you for calling me back. Thanks, Mike. And look, it's great to speak to you again. Now, I want to dive straight in and just want to pick up a little bit from uh, where we were at the last episode. And um, at the end of that discussion, you mentioned RATA testing. Um, so I'd like to continue by looking into it a little bit more. And one of the first things that comes to mind was that you mentioned that router testing involves third party and that they probably take samples and bring them to the lab and run analysis on those samples. Is that right? Uh, yes, Sean, that, that is quite correct. They may take the samples to a lab or sometimes they'll actually have portable laboratory analyzers and they actually do the measurements on site and in almost real time. So it, it doesn't matter though, the outcome is the same. It's uh, basically about taking spot samples uh, and getting results that are independently measured from the SEMS. Now that in itself leads to a bit of a misconception, which hopefully you can address here, that people out there say that laboratory analyzers and even the portable ones used in the RATA tests should be used as a basis for SEMS measurements because they're super accurate and they're super sensitive. Therefore, they should be the reference. So what would you say to them? Uh, well, okay. It, it's not difficult to make a cognitive leap that says that because the auditor uses a lab analyzer, that a lab analyzer is therefore appropriate to the SEMS measurement, and the lab analyzer is certainly appropriate to making a SEMS measurement in a laboratory type of environment. However, you won't find those guys doing spot checks in a howling gale out there in the pouring rain or some thrashing hail. But you might expect your SEMS to keep going when it's 50 degrees or whether it's freezing or when it's raining and 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. So as long as that process is operating, you expect that SEMS to keep running. So lab analyzers, they're really suited to laboratory environments or at least very mild ambient environments. Industrial analyzers, on the other hand, they're designed to run in a robust, reliable fashion for a long period of time. So for process measurement, which is what a SEMS is, it's probably more appropriate to consider process analyzers. So while lab analyzers may be more sensitive and possibly even more accurate than process analyzers, you don't need to have minute levels of uncertainty in a SEMS measurement. What you need is to have good levels of reproducibility, good stability and good robustness in the measurement. Uh, by the way, typically a RATA, or Relative Accuracy Test Audit, has a bandwidth of about 10%. So if you can get a correlation within 10% between what the spot sample sees from the lab analysis and what the SEMS is saying, that will usually be acceptable to the statutory authority. So that's not to say that process analyzers are not accurate or not sensitive. 
what we're saying is, is that they have an appropriate level of accuracy, an appropriate level of uncertainty, and an appropriate sensitivity for the requirements in the measurements that we're making. Because you have to select the analyzer with regard to exactly what it is that you're measuring and what concentration uh, of components it is that you're actually trying to measure. It still follows that a process analyzer is going to be a better solution for around-the-clock process measurements than an adapted lab analyzer. Nonetheless, it all comes down to competent design. Irrespective if you choose these lab analyzers and you put them in, in an analyzer house with an air conditioner and you provide them with a laboratory type of environment, they'll probably work just fine. Although you might just be adding unnecessary layers of complexity into the design by doing that. Yeah, and look, they're really not designed for the application. I mean, that's the point. Indeed, and that raises questions about who should actually design the systems in the first place. Now, there are some people thinking that they should be designed by qualified environmental scientists. Those tend to be the people who use the lab analyzers, so it does make sense at face value. But it's actually not that true either. From the SEMS vendor perspective, there's no requirement for environmental scientists to be involved in designing the SEMS. The end user may choose to have their environmental scientists look at it, in which case we're actually happy to collaborate with them to ensure that their concerns are fully addressed with respect to license conditions and other requirements of the statutory authorities. In regard to the SEMS execution, the SEMS should be treated as any other industrial analytical measurement. That is to say, there should be a focus on accurately and reliably measuring a representative sample in a timely fashion using equipment which can perform the required functions with minimal maintenance. Great insights there, Mike. Now, it, it also brings to mind another uh, myth that we hear as well, is that the same company that supplies the SEMS is also believed to be responsible for the RATA, um, so that there's less issues or discrepancies between the, the two. I mean, how, how do you see that? Is it true? Uh, well, there's a bit of a temptation for the license holder to say, if we have the same people who built the SEMS also bring in their lab analyzers and do the RATA, they'll know how everything works. So they'll know exactly how the SEMS works. They'll know how the lab analyzers work. They'll know how the RATA works. They'll have the whole picture. So there's a potential that there could be a better outcome. However, there's also a little bit of a problem because the statutory authorities would generally shun that as embodying a conflict of interests. So while some organisations certainly have the skills and experience to provide RATAs and SEMS, there is a perception of ethical problems. SEMS data in many cases are subject to public scrutiny. It's important that there's trust in the data. Avoiding perceived conflicts of interest not only helps keep the statutory authorities happy, it also helps to build public trust and increase confidence that these things are there for a good reason, providing good data and that the operators are good corporate citizens. And it's also the brand, right? If you're conscious about the environmental impact of your operations, you communicate that to your community. You maintain your brand intact, and, and perhaps the employees of the companies could avoid being fined for not being responsible corporate citizens, as you mentioned. Indeed. Now, of course, we're talking about enforcement, but we're also talking about ethics and trust and being a good corporate citizen. And not everybody out there is always going to be a good corporate citizen. Unfortunately, that brings us to the next myth which you might want to raise. 
Absolutely. Well, that next myth is that the uh, SEM supplier will force the end user to use their extensive workshop recalibration services to keep it valid. Now, it's true that some equipment suppliers may not have fully site serviceable equipment or even people who can travel to sites to perform routine maintenance, let alone deal with breakdowns. Additionally, we've come across cases where even relatively simple analyzers, such as zirconia oxygen analyzers, can't have their cells replaced on site and have to be returned to a workshop. You can see it's certainly in the interest of the end user to understand how their SEMS needs to be maintained and who will do the work. We're in the enviable position that we're able to be very flexible in this regard. As an example, if the customer doesn't want to be uh, very involved in looking after the SEMS, we can provide long-term support arrangements, or LTSA, to keep the system in tip-top shape. Alternately, the customer may prepare to have their own people look after themselves. In that case, we can provide from another suite of offerings. Now, those offerings, they can include formal and on-the-job training, transitional site services, remote support, and call-out services, as may be determined to best suit the precise requirements of the customer. One thing that we've done in the past, by the way, which I understand has been quite successful, is transitional site services. This is usually uh, used by the larger customer who's got highly competent technical support people permanently engaged on site and they're enthusiastic to look after the equipment. What we do in the transitional site services arena is we go to site and we get the system running. During the commissioning process, we work with the customer's people to bring them up to speed with on-the-job training. And then we come back and we continue that and we work through a few maintenance sessions so they get to see how things are done and get practice and experience. And so we hold their hand until they develop the confidence to take it over and do it themselves, and then uh, we withdraw until we're perhaps needed for some major overhaul work or something like that going forward. Okay, that's interesting. Well, look, I think we've covered a lot of misconceptions today for SEMS, and I heard you mentioning earlier in the conversation about the two different types of installations that we can see a SEMS in, you know, one being the in situ and the other one being an extractive arrangement. There's also a misconception that in situ analyzers should always be used instead of extractive ones. I mean, what's your take on this? Yokogawa are in the somewhat enviable position of having both in situ analyzers, such as our fully site serviceable TDLS 8100 probe-type tunable laser diode spectrometer and ZR-series oxygen analyzers, but we also have a proven capability to implement extractive systems using analyzers such as the IR202 or the IR400. So there's no preconception on our part. We don't have a predisposition as to whether to use extractive or in situ. What we have is an open mind to consider the many variables which will affect how an optimum SEMS design can be achieved. For example, say you have a remote site with three power generators, say firing clean natural gas. The generators are lined up next to one another and the stacks are close together. That arrangement might actually be best served by a three-channel extractive SEMS. Now a different example requires the same measurement, but from a single stack Uh, and the measurement's going to be close to the atmospheric discharge point. This particular stack, it's got easy access to a platform, has a few unused nozzles close to where the router port's located. 
it's a clean burning process. There's no corrosives that are going to cause problems if it goes cold or during startup. On balance, that particular installation uh, may be better suited to using in situ devices such as the TDLS, which I mentioned. Of course, there's always other things that I mentioned earlier on in our previous podcast that still need to be considered. So it's not a simple decision. It's a decision that with careful expectation, though, can yield a good outcome. Yeah, and everyone has their own opinion on SEMS and the number of variables to consider are very, very clearly significant. Um, I mean, that makes the decision of purchasing the SEMS system more difficult for the end user than, than ever. Yes, it certainly can make it a more complicated process to make that decision. And unfortunately, this is very unfortunate, in a lot of cases, the customer will see the SEMS as an imposition. They'll see it as something that doesn't make money for them. It just costs money to maintain it. Perhaps it saves them from going outside their licensing requirements, which may stop them from being fined or having some unwanted public attention. Still, they don't see the thing as an investment. They really see it more as a cost, and that can be a problem because it can lead to decisions based around a cheapest bid rather than a best value type of approach. Okay, so you see then that there is a possibility of getting returns or having any value out of a SEM system outside of the APA requirements. I mean... In your view, what are those extra benefits? Well, Sean, we live in an era that's extremely data-rich, but in many ways information-poor. Now, the idea that SEMS can't help the end user to make money and the cheapest bid solution should be purchased is a really nasty myth because short-term capital cost-based thinking can lead to poor medium and long-term outcomes, particularly in the medium and longer term when the warranties have expired. Now, it may be possible to save some money in the initial purchase. However, a few few points do merit some consideration. One of those is could better measurements be used to optimise the process to improve the combustion, reduce fuel consumption, reduce pollution levels, or improve other outcomes such as refractory lining, ducting, or process equipment lifespans? Will a more accurate, reliable measurement allow the operator to manage the process to its fullest potential? Will a less reliable measurement end up costing more because it requires frequent maintenance? Will the site be threatened with fines or shutdowns? Will the same supplier even be around in 20 years? And will the customer view them as a partner, successfully co-innovating their future? I'd like to expand on that last point a little bit. There are a great number of sites out there at the moment who don't really see any potential for a SEMS to give them any kind of a payback. They just see it as being right at the end of the process. Everything's already happened and it's too late to do anything about it. And that view is certainly understandable. However, it does invite some deeper investigation. Recent developments in mining data, particularly those able to create complex multivariable models, that can simulate a process against a number of specified variables, those models are proving to have a phenomenal capacity to actually lead to real-world outcomes that reduce costs or improve profits. Yoko Gaur are confident that some of these models will be applicable even for the last measurement at the end of the street, which is the SEMS. So I really do think there's a potential to reduce duct corrosion, to increase refractory life, and to improve combustion optimization or gain other benefits. Even with data that seems at face value to be somewhat second-hand, because it's right at the end of the process, 
the number crunching that's available now can still do useful things with that data. Well, look, I think it's clear that people really haven't seen um, or realised the potential or how important these systems are to the plants. I do hope with the information that you've shared today and in the previous episode have provided a bit more insight into, into the SEMS. Uh, so, Mike, I'd like to thank you for your participation today and also in the previous episode. I'd like to uh, reach out with a, uh, an invitation to join us again at some point in the future. Thanks, Sean. I'd like to say thank you very much for having me on the show and hopefully you've got good value from the chat. Thanks, Mike, and, and thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us once again. If you have any questions or particular topics you'd like to discuss, please contact us on debunks at au.yokogawa.com. And also, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please remember to like and share in your social media channels. We look forward to welcoming you back to future discussions. But in the meantime, stay safe and remember, Yokogawa debunks.